Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All righty, guys. My name is Andrew Robinson. Joined as always by my twin brother Aaron Robinson. And today we are back for another episode of the Auto Bed. Man, we have a special, special guest. We are joined by none other than the analytics guru, a good friend of ours, Evan Miyakawa. Man, Evan, thank you for coming over with us today, man. I'm glad to be on, guys. Yeah, man. I mean, for those who don't know, man, I mean, uh, this has been a long time coming, Evan. Man, we've been trying to get you on for the last like three or four weeks, man. So uh, definitely glad we can get this done, man, because Evan is a is a busy man these days. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the only one who's made it hard to get this to finally happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true, man. Very true, man. You know, it's it's, it's hard. We're being on the other side of the world, and now Ace is out here, you know, uh, on vacation and everything. So you know, understandable nonetheless, man. But uh, before we get into it, man, we definitely want to remind you guys to. Um, like this podcast, man. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, give us a five-star rating, you know, wherever you're listening to this podcast, man. It goes a long way and uh, helping us kind of get this out to the right people, man. Um, that was my guy, Pull Up Tate, on the intro. Make sure you guys are streaming his music. Uh, he's one of the hottest new artists coming out of the DMV, man. So definitely, definitely, guys, if you haven't already, tap into my guy's music, man. But without further ado, man, um, I'm going to go ahead and get right into it, Evan. One of the things, man, that, that, that I wanted to kind of ask you, man, because, you know, I am not an analytics guy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a guy that really knows too much about it, but I do understand that it is it is kind of taken over, like, a lot of, of college basketball, man. You know, there are a lot of coaches that are really buying into it. A lot of people are kind of um, really understanding the value of analytics nowadays, man. So, you know, I want to start off with asking you, man, like, can you just give us kind of a, a breakdown of just kind of the analytics world in general as far as, um, why are they so important? Kind of what is the purpose of analytics when it comes to like, you know, pairing them with, with college basketball? Yeah, I think ultimately the reason for the rise in analytics is because anytime that you can get an edge, even a slight one over your competition, it's worth it. I mean, coaches are always looking for that one thing that they can change, that one thing that they can tweak just to even make a small difference in their expected, you know, performance. And you guys have certainly seen this in your own experience as college basketball players, you're always looking for that way to get a little bit better than your competition. So I think a lot of the reason for a rise in analytics is both because of that desire, but then also because of the you know rise in technology and the rise in people being able to get their hands on data and be able to you know, be able to uh, analytically quantify things that we couldn't in the past. So one of the things that I do is I just uh, recently got my PhD in statistics and I didn't play college ball. I didn't play high school ball, but I've always been a college basketball fan. And so, you know, from someone who sits on the sideline and in, and loves and appreciates the game, I wanted to um, to see if I could 
you know, make a dent in this analytics world, so to speak, by looking at all this data that I have and, uh, you know, trying to quantify different things that might be of interest to fans and coaches alike. So I think, you know, it's only going to become more common because a lot of the younger coaches who are successful are really leaning in on this. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to ignore the results that people are getting when kind of getting into this analytics uh, edge. Yep, yep. Now, you mentioned, obviously, you know, not playing in high school or college, but kind of wanting to kind of get into analytics um, because you were a fan. But, like, you know, what made you really, like, put your site together? Like, what made you try to decide, like, all right, like, this is something that I'm really going to go with um, as far as really putting out analytics for others to, 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 to utilize? It really started for me just as a fun side project. Uh, it's the perfect intersection between what I study, which is statistics and data science, and what I you know love to watch and and cheer on in college basketball. So combining those two, it really just started as a way of just having some fun with it and seeing like, hey, at a very simple level, can I come up with my own way to rank teams, for example? I remember doing that a couple years ago. I dabbled in different stuff, trying to make my bracket better in March, you know, typical kinds of things. And then, you know, you, you build one thing and then you think of another new idea and you add on to it. And what started as a simple like, hey, can I rank some teams has turned into this big website that I now have that uh, quantifies things like player impact and team efficiency and tempo and, you know, breaking down the, the performance of different lineups and all of this different stuff. Um, really, you know, I didn't have this big grand plan when I started it. It really was just a, a fun side hobby. And it's been really awesome to get the engagement that it has and a lot of feedback from fans and media members and coaches alike who are now using it. Uh, but it really just started as that, as a fun a fun side project for me. So I'm just so thankful that it's gotten to where it is. Yep. Not only that there are a bunch of different like analytics models and people kind of who, who are doing obviously um, notably Kempom, what are some differences kind of between what you do uh, with your site and like another site like Kempom or some of the other analytics models out there? Sure. So at a basic level, what I do is pretty similar to someone like Ken Pomeroy. But one of the big things that I try and do that's different and I personally think is more advanced than you'll find anywhere else is trying to quantify a player impact at the possession by possession level. There's a lot of good computer models out there already for, you know, valuing team performance, team efficiency. But in college basketball, it is really difficult to get a true understanding of the impact of each player on a play by play basis where you're talking about when a player is on the floor, how much do they help their team in terms of you know, impact on team success on offense and on defense, right? Because there's over 5,000 players in D1 college basketball, it's just a massive, massive daunting task. And we have certain ways as fans uh, and as you know, avid followers of the sport, like we can look at points per game, we can look at rebounds, stuff like that. But box score statistics don't tell the full story. So what I've ended up building is a metric called Bayesian performance rating, which tries to quantify overall player impact on their team's success, both through looking at individual efficiency stats. So typical stuff like, you know, how efficient are they in shooting the ball and assist to turnover ratio and stuff like that. But then also combining, okay, if you take all of that out of the equation, the best players should enhance their team's level of play when they step on the floor in terms of how well they play on offense and how well they play on defense. So I also look at how well does a team play when this player is actually on the floor, forget his own individual statistics for a second. And then I also adjust in each of those plays 
for the strength of individual opposition players that they face. You know, if a guy is always being put in to guard the other team's star player, you want to give him credit for that and, and things of that nature. And then I also include a little bit of historical information as well to help make these evaluations of players slightly more predictive. Ultimately, what I'm trying to do is not necessarily just measure like a player's body of work in the past, but ultimately try and predict how well they, they will play in the future, which is why my ratings are a lot more stable, especially at the beginning of a season than a lot of other metrics you might see out there, which kind of start from every player having a level of zero. Mine already have a little bit of like a preseason projection type of components to them that help stabilize them and also allows for things like accurate transfer projections and stuff like that. So a lot of the stuff that I do is really baked around that player impact metric Bayesian performance rating, which then feeds into my team ratings, lineup ratings, and all that other stuff. Right, right. And then you kind of segued into a little bit talking about kind of your transfer rankings. And obviously you just uh, rolled out your 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 new uh, portal rating system. Um, so I want to get kind of give you a chance to kind of talk about that, like, you know, kind of what that is and kind of how that's going to kind of change the game when it comes to uh, the era of the, of the transfer portal that we're in nowadays. Yeah, we are in such a new unprecedented time with the transfer portal and the, you know, the the one year transfer rule that just got added last year. So many players can now transfer and have immediate impact. And so one of the things that I did a little bit last offseason, but I've really bumped up a lot this offseason is trying to project a player's uh, impact for the next season and looking specifically at players who have entered their name in the transfer portal. So it takes stuff into account like you know performance in previous seasons uh, both in terms of my impact metrics and other things but it also heavily considers stuff like high school recruit ranking especially for players who have only played for a single year that still matters a lot and tries to project their impact in the next season and so hopefully this is a really helpful resource both for fans and for coaches and i actually know a lot of coaches who are actively using this my transfer portal uh, portion of my website updates multiple times a day so it's pretty live and I also now have a five-star transfer system, which I think is really helpful because, you know, at the high school level, it's really helpful for us to kind of get a rough glance of how good a recruiting class is by seeing how many five-stars, four-stars, and three-stars, et cetera, that a team brings in. Similarly, now with my transfer portal rankings, I also divide my transfers into five-star, four-star, three-star, two-star transfers. And the more names that get added to the portal, the more you'll see of each. But in general, you know, those five stars are pretty rare. I think there were about 40 of them last year in the portal. And I think we have, you know, 15 so far who have entered the portal as, quote, five-star transfer portals, according to my rankings. But I think this is a really helpful resource just for, for whether a fan or coach to kind of get a gauge for how good these players are. Certainly, they're not going to be 100% accurate. You can never perfectly, you know, predict how well a player is going to do when they change schools. But I think it's really cool. Yep. Now you mentioned that kind of some some coaches uh, have kind of used the platform. What are some of the feedback that you've gotten on it uh, so far? Yeah, I've gotten a lot of wide range of feedback. Ultimately, a lot of coaches have been really encouraged with what what they see, and they you know call me or 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 email me or whatever to kind of understand a little bit more of how to apply my ratings to what they're doing. I think certainly in terms of transfers, that's a really, really big application, trying to get a gauge for a player's overall impact, not just based on say points per game, but actually trying to say, okay, maybe if a player's stepping up a level or stepping down a level in terms of conference, how's that gonna translate? So that's really, really useful. And a lot of coaches are using that right now. I think the other big thing is in season, one of the best ways that you can apply my player impact metric is by allocating minutes for players. So. Uh, a big decision that coaches have to make during a season is, you know, who are my starters? How much are they going to play? 
Uh, if we're in a rut, do we try to shake up who's who's in the rotation? And so BPR can really help with that. Ultimately, you usually want guys who are really high impact guys to play more minutes. And oftentimes BPR can really help shine the light on guys who maybe don't put up big stat lines, but are having a huge impact on their team's success when they're on the floor. Or maybe other guys who are, you know, leading scorers or high volume shooters, but are actually being a detriment to their team's success. Being able to look at an overall player impact metric like BPR really helps. So I've had a lot of conversations with coaches who are trying to gain an edge against their competition, so to speak, with that. And so I've had a lot of questions about how to use that and that kind of thing. So that's probably the other main use case that coaches are using it for. Nice. Man, as, as, as two guys that, that transferred uh, on this platform, man, I, I wonder what me and Ace ranking would have been in, uh, in, in Evan Mia's Porter rankings, man. You know, coming from Quinnipiac to Coppin State, man, I don't know if, if, if we would have been five-star guys, man, but, you know, I know my impact was, was felt all over the court. <laughs> I can go back and calculate that if you want me. If you want to actually know, I totally can. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, it, it might hurt my feelings. I don't, I don't know who would know that. <laughs> but, hey, you know what? I, I, actually, I actually might hit you up on that, man. I might got to find that out. Um, kind of changing the gears a little bit, man. I want to kind of obviously, you know, we're a couple of days away from Final Four, man. March Madness is in full effect. Um, how did you use kind of your formula and kind of your numbers to kind of do any bracket simulations? Kind of how did that turn out? You know, when you were putting your brackets together, kind of how did you use your model to kind of factor in where teams should be seated and, and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think bracket simulations are always interesting. I usually start firing them up towards late November, early March, just to kind of see, you know, if the bracket was decided today, which teams are more likely to go on deep runs and based on seed and that kind of thing, which is always really fun for fans. I mean, anytime someone sees a bracket, it's like a jolt of excitement. You can't not look. It's, it, you know, you know your true fans when you see one, right? But when it comes, when the bracket actually came out, I was able to simulate the tournament, I think a thousand times and see what percentage of the time, according to my team ratings and all the different components that go into uh, predicting the outcomes of games, see what percentage of the time, you know, teams won the championship, reached the final four, et cetera. And then ultimately what was most helpful is not necessarily predicting who are the favorites to get far, because those are usually pretty obvious, but more often the time looking for teams with value, right? If you're trying to pick your bracket, you're looking at teams that are expected to go farther than say other teams with a similar seed. And a lot of times you're looking specifically for teams that other people aren't picking to go very far that actually have a decent chance or maybe a higher chance than some might think. So looking at my bracket simulations through that lens and looking at teams that are had good value, teams that had bad value was really interesting. Of course, the way the bracket spins out, it's just one possible outcome of a lot of different ones we see. If we were to redo the whole tournament today, we'd probably have an entirely different Final Four. So, you know, no bracket simulations are going to be perfect, but it was really interesting to see teams that had value like that or maybe teams that were overrated slightly. So, you know, a team like Wisconsin, for example, a lot of people picked to go further than they were projected based on my bracket simulations. And, you know, that's just one example of where that it turned out to be right. Others are plenty that are wrong. They obviously weren't predicting St. Peter's to beat Kentucky and go to the Elite Eight and that kind of thing. But it's kind of fun that way. Right. I'm curious to know, like, what were your numbers this year on Providence? Because there was a bunch of talk about, you know, if they're lucky, are they good? Are they going to advance to the second weekend? Like, um, what did your numbers, obviously, we, we, we've had a lot of discussions about Providence uh, in, in, in our group chat this year, man. So what were your numbers on them this year? Yeah, Providence is such an interesting case study. And ultimately, 
I think the tournament isn't a great way to get a barometer for how good a team really is, especially if they lose early, uh, because all it takes is one loss and then you're done, right? So, you know, if if Providence were have to play had played ten games instead of just two in the tournament, we might get a better sense of, you know, how good they really were. But ultimately, for Providence, I think the reason why a lot of analytics models were lower on them than say the the AP poll was, for example, is because it's, it's kind of a well-known narrative now. They won a lot of their games really close and they lost their few games that they lost by a wide margin. And when you're trying to build these efficiency-based uh, ratings for teams, it really takes into account close wins versus blowouts and that kind of thing. One of the things that I do with my rankings that I don't think someone like Ken Pomeroy does, but he has looked into in the past is eliminating possessions in garbage time so once a game is already decided in terms of the mathematical outcome like say once a team is almost certain to win a game i start to actually downweight or discard those possessions entirely because i think it tells us a lot less about how good a team is going to be and so if you actually look at the difference between providence's performance in like normal game time where the game is still undecided versus their performance in garbage time they were much, much worse in garbage time than when the game actually mattered. And so that's something that I take into account with my team ratings, which I think is helpful. With that being said, they still were lower in my computer rankings than most people had them. And ultimately, we can't really know how, quote, good they actually were because we only had such a small sample size of them in the tournament. Right, right. So the second team I got to ask about, man, is UNC because... I mean, there was a, a large portion of the season where people were like, this team isn't even going to get into the tournament. Um, you know, obviously they ended up getting the eight seed and obviously, um, you know, they ended up making it once to the final four. But I remember when the brightest came out, a lot of people were picking them to beat Baylor. I remember that because obviously the, the, the thing with, you know, the injuries to Baylor and, you know, UNC been playing well, um, kind of what did your model show uh, about UNC and kind of is there, was there any way that you kind of foresee them making the run that they've made so far? Yes, actually, UNC was one of those teams that had a much better chance of beating, you know, top seeds in the field than than their actual seeds suggested. And that's kind of been the case all season. Part of what makes my rankings um, helpful for predicting tournament outcomes is that they're predictive, which means I'm not just measuring their body of work. I'm actually trying to project how well they're going to do going forward. And so some of the factors that go into that are not just how well has this team played this season, but also how good is your roster? What was the preseason expectation? Because a lot of those things actually do matter when you're trying to predict tournament success. Michigan was another team that fell in that bucket that was always performing worse than their predictive rating actually suggested. Both North Carolina and and Michigan, pretty much all season long, I had rated higher than they were in the AP poll than they were considered by most people. And you know, sure enough, they both performed a lot better in the tournament than they had during the season. So. I wasn't necessarily predicting a UNC Final Four run, but they were definitely way underseeded in terms of how strong they were uh, based on how how they how well they were predicted to do in the tournament. Right, right. Um, that's kind of a great segue into my next question, man. Like based on you know your model, you know looking at kind of these these five man lineups, right, and kind of who has kind of some of the best five man lineups in the country, and you know Duke actually has two of the top ten five man lineups in the country, and, and UNC you know has it also has a, a top ten lineup. Um, five-man lineup out of the out of anybody in the country, man. So, like, for you, kind of, how you look at this matchup? Like, you know, um, who are you going with in this matchup? And kind of, are there any keys that you, that you think could, could manifest themselves? You know, with two teams who have, you know, two of the best five-man lineups out of any teams uh, in the country, and certainly like got nothing in the field. 
Yeah, you referenced a great feature on my website, which is these lineup ratings, which look at the performance of different combinations of players and then adjust for the strength of opponent's face. So I think this is a really cool way to look at teams that have a lot of star power or have a lineups that are really efficient. And as you mentioned, you know, Duke's starting lineup and North Carolina's starting lineup both are two of the best remaining, if not the best, in the entire tournament. I think a big thing for me is UNC's depth, right? They have this Iron 5 lineup where they play a lot of the game together, especially in the second half. And, you know, in their previous meeting with Duke and up to this point in the tournament, that really hasn't cost them a lot, except for against Baylor when Brady Manick got disqualified based for a flagrant, which, you know, is debatable as to whether that should have been call called. And then all of a sudden, Baylor rushed back in the game. I think the biggest factor, at least in my mind, in terms of the result of this Duke-UNC game is those five guys staying out of foul trouble and, you know, having the energy to play as many minutes as they have. Because once UNC starts dipping into those other players, their performance drops significantly. So I think that's a big, big factor. I think Duke is a little bit better set up for success in terms of their rotation and the pieces that they have than UNC in that regard. All right. So are you, are you going with Duke to win this game? What's your, what's your pick? That's a tough one. My game predictions have Duke favored by about four points. Uh, and if I had to guess, I'd probably lay with them. But I mean, I think North Carolina's ceiling is as high, if not higher than any team in this tournament, if they keep playing well. So wouldn't be shocked to see North Carolina win this game. And how about in the other Final Four matchup in uh, Kansas Villanova? I mean, what are your, what are your matchups uh, somebody that's telling you in that one? Yeah, my game predictor right now has Kansas favored by three and a half. And the big one in this is Justin Moore's injury. One of the things that my game predictions do is they account for current injuries. So as soon as Justin Moore got diagnosed with his injury and was declared out for the season, Villanova was previously sixth in my team ratings and they dropped to 12th based on how well they're expected to do uh, in the future. So that's a big loss for them. And I think this game would be a lot tighter. I've got Kansas ranked fourth in the nation right now. So four versus six versus four versus 12, that's a pretty big difference. Obviously Villanova still has the ability to win this game, but it just got a lot harder. Right, so did you have, did you still have Kansas favorite uh, before the Justin Moore injury? Yeah, just barely. Okay, okay, got you. So if we had a, a Duke-Kansas national title, who you think, I mean, who, who's predicted to kind of come out on top in that one? They're pretty neck and neck. They're, they're almost the exact same in terms of expected performance. So I think the edge will really come down to style components, like, you know, you know, who's able to adjust to the other style and that kind of thing, which isn't something I've looked into yet in depth, but that matchup seems really, really evenly matched to me. Uh, I do think Duke will probably be favored in that game, but uh, in terms of what my analytics say, it's pretty neck and neck. Now, what do the analytics have to say about this, this whole case saga? You know, because, I mean, I think that obviously this uh, K farewell tour has, in my eyes, given Duke this, this bolt of energy coming into the NCAA tournament, man. So, I mean, are there any analytics to account for the Coach K effect? <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that Coach K has really, you know, raised the level of this team. And based on everything that he's said, it's really about the players buying in and trusting each other. And I, we've seen that. I mean, they played at a really, really consistent level, similar to what we saw in their early season wins against a team like Gonzaga, for example. So I think they're locked in. Uh, and I think the same goes for North Carolina. Ultimately, one of the trends that I look for in tournament success is teams that had high expectations in the preseason, especially in terms of NBA talent, 
really locking in and playing as a group together. And that's something that both of these teams bring to the table. And since they've really been able to lock in uh, and play well as a team, that makes them, you know, really, really dangerous. And that's part of why they've both made it to the final four. So for you, man, I mean, um, right now you currently have Paolo Bancaro ranked as the, the second best player in the country, according to your top 10 player rankings. Um, what about him makes him so special and so dynamic for Duke? Yeah, Paulo Bancaro is is just really special. And as you reference, he's really high in my player impact uh, metrics, uh, looking both at, you know, how well he plays as an individual, but also how he impacts uh, his team performance. One of the things that I really like about him is not just his offensive impact, but how solid he is defensively, both in terms of the plays that he makes, how athletic he is, but also in terms of how well Duke plays with him on the court versus with him off the court. So that's part of why uh, he ranks so highly and is by far the best uh, rated player for Duke. I think the second most impactful player for Duke, if I'm looking right now, uh, right now is Wendell Moore at 14th in the country and then Mark Williams at 21st. Uh, for a while there, AJ Griffin was also pretty high, but he had a little bit of a dip in form towards the end of conference play. But Paulo Vancaro for me is just their best player. I mean, it's obviously when you watch him, but the numbers back it up too, not just in terms of his statistics, but in terms of his impact on the court for Duke. Yeah. I'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit, man. Uh, this kind of made me made me think about this when we talk about Paulo Vancaro. There's been a lot of debate, you know, as far as like. You know, Paolo Bancaro, Chet, Jabari Smith, who should go number one? Who's kind of the best out of out of those three? Um, what's your take on those three? Like, do you, do you think, like, uh, are there any, um, you know, numbers to kind of say who you think will be the better player uh, long term or like, your preference who you think should go first in the draft out of those three? Yeah, I'm certainly not a draft expert, so I'm never going to put my foot forward and definitively say who should go number one or number two or number three. The big thing that sticks out to me is, uh, obviously, there's a lot of things that analytics at the college level can't measure, like, you know, athletic potential and attitude and stuff like that, right? There's there's a, a translation to the NBA that you just can't quantify in terms of numbers. But when you're looking at trying to figure out which players of these potential draft picks have had the biggest impact, both in terms of, you know, impressive numbers, but also in terms of their impact on the floor, both Chet Holmgren and Paulo Bencaro evaluate really, really well. They're pretty neck and neck in terms of uh, their player impact metrics at my site. And Jabari Smith is a distant third. And that's kind of been the case all season. And I think the main reason why he's a little bit behind the other two is because of his shooting efficiency. He's obviously a very gifted scorer. He can pull up and make shots from anywhere on the floor. But in terms of his actual shooting efficiency this year, it was really far below the other two. And I think that really hurts his player impact metrics overall, both in terms of his shooting numbers and also his impact on Auburn's offense. So I think that's a big thing that holds him back and is definitely something that can be changed at the next level. But in terms of looking at ready-made products right now, he seems to be third in that category behind the other two. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, one thing I also got to ask you, man, is, you know, you've uh, gotten a lot of uh, kind of pub about this, this this kill shot, you know, that you kind of made, made famous recently. Um, for people who don't know what that is, like, can you kind of explain what the kill shot is um, and kind of how you were able to kind of uh, kind of coin that and kind of, you know, bring that to the forefront with your, with your model? Yeah, so the kill shot uh, idea started uh, back in January. I was watching uh, Purdue versus Illinois, and I think it was the second full-length Illinois game I had watched all season. I had watched their previous game against Arizona. And in both of those games, I noticed that Illinois – 
I think went on like a big scoring run and then immediately gave a run right back. And so I started to think, is Illinois one of the most streaky teams in the nation in terms of going on scoring runs, this spurtability, so to speak. So what I started doing is I came up with this title called the kill shot, which stands for a team going on a 10-0 run or better. So scoring at least 10 points in a row unanswered by the other team and looking at teams that either uh, go on lots of scoring runs or don't give up a lot and using that as a way to measure how steady, how streaky, how consistent these teams are. And that's been really interesting to track this season. So you've got a group of teams that are really dominant that go on lots of scoring runs and don't give them up very much. You have teams like Gonzaga, Arizona, Houston, uh, Villanova, Duke, teams like that. And then you have teams that are really streaky, which I think is the most interesting case where they're really likely to go on scoring runs, but they also give them up a ton, which basically means anytime in a game with one of these streaky teams like Wisconsin, Tennessee, uh, Texas, for example, no lead is safe one way or the other. Uh, they could lose a lead easy. They could gain a lead back easy. So I think that really leads to some interesting, you know, like in-game win probability. It also leads to some interesting insight into if a streaky team is an underdog in a game, maybe they're more likely to win that game than if they're one of these more consistent teams like Michigan or Michigan State uh, that don't give up a lot of scoring runs, but also don't go on them often either. So a lot of really interesting insight into these kill shots. All right. Shoot, man. I think, uh, well, and I, I, I was speaking, speaking for me, man. I mean, you, you do amazing work, man, with all the stuff that, that you're able to compile, man. And uh, I think it's awesome stuff, man. So, you know, I don't speak for myself. I'm definitely going to dive more into the analytics world, man, because I think it's hard sometimes for, for players because we are like, man, use your eyes. Like, what do your eyes tell you? You know what I'm saying? Um, but the game more and more now is becoming more numbers-based and, and more data-based. And I think that it, it's awesome to see, you know, guys like yourself that are putting together these models that are becoming a lot more, you know, widely, widely respected, man. So I definitely want to thank you uh, for coming on and kind of enlightening myself and as well as the basketball world, um, you know, about, about, about the analytics world, man. But uh, I kind of want to give you the floor, man. Talk about, you know, where, where, where people can, can, can kind of follow you, um, you know, where they can find your work. And then if you have anything uh, coming up on the horizon that you want to give a quick shout to, man, uh, the floor is yours. Sure. So I am, uh, my website's evanmia.com. That's E-V-A-N-M-I-Y-A.com. And I'm also have the same Twitter handle where I try and uh, post a lot of the interesting stuff and kind of communicate it at a level that's easy to understand. So I'm pretty active there. Um, and in terms of stuff that's coming up, uh, running this website is not my full-time job or anything. So I, I work on it as I have time. I'm hoping this season to implement more, um, some more in-depth stuff like coaching tools and uh, trying to optimize roster um, roster allocation minutes and stuff like that. At some point, I will be kind of upgrading to having some more of a subscription for people who really want to get in depth at the fan level or at the coach level. So we'll see if I get that done at some point. But I'm always coming up with new ideas and trying to implement them. Uh, so so I'm always into that. Before I jump off here, I do want to kind of float this back to you guys as former players and as media members. How do you feel about the rise in analytics? And you know, is it hard for you to buy into that, or do you feel the shift uh, in terms of of wanting to embrace it more? Yeah, I think I think for me personally, I kind of think it's it's a balance of both. I think for me, like when I first started hearing about analytics, it was like, man, like screw analytics. Like, what are your eyes telling you? Like, because that's what that's what like as players, like at the end of the day, like you always feel like you have all the control, you know, it's just like, all right, if I shoot this shot, it should go in. Or if I make this play, like it, it's on me, like, it's not really about, you know, the numbers telling me, oh, I'm more likely to, to do this or anything like that. Um, 
But it's kind of weird because you have guys like, you know, the Kyle Smiths of the world. And uh, people made a lot about uh, Todd Golden, the big analytics guy, and that whole tree, you know, um, Mike McPio and all those kind of things. And it's like, you see that, man, a lot of these times, man, like these, these analytics are spot on. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of makes you, you curious um, about kind of just what goes into it and things like that. I think, I think there are situations where like, I think coaches um, – kind of can rely on them maybe too much. And it's like, all right, well, this is what the numbers tell me. So I'm going to just, like, for example, a guy like uh, Andre Curbelo, um, for example, I'm not sure, like, what his analytic numbers are as far as his efficiency, things like that. But so many, so many people, like, in the media just rag on him about, like, his performance and things like that. I'm just like, man, my eyes tell me that he's still, like, a, a pretty good player. You know what I'm saying? I think that, obviously, he had a lot going on this year as far as, you know, the concussion and things like that. But sometimes I feel like, you know, he can get, you know, can get going despite how, like, streaky or, or things he may be. But me personally, man, like, this is something that I do want to learn more about and that I, I'm starting to trust more and more. Um, and especially, like, if you look at professional basketball, like, huge on analytics. I mean, you've seen, like, the complete elimination, for example, of, of, of the mid-range shot, um, say, for, like, a few guys like DeRozan, Jimmy Butler, and, like, Chris Paul, you know, at the NBA level, where they've almost strictly gone to, like, layups and threes. Um really trying to get corner threes. And that's really based on analytics and just those are like the highest percentage shots. So, I mean, clearly there's some validity there. And I think that, um, you know, I'm definitely eager to kind of learn more about it and kind of rely on them more because, you know, they are, um, you know, they are something that's kind of taken over the basketball world now, man. And I think that they could be very, very valuable moving forward if you can kind of balance both, you know, balance kind of using your eyes and like relying on yourself as a player and, and your game, but then also, you know, seeing what the analytics are, are telling you. And maybe you can find ways for your for your own game to be more efficient as far as like taking sh certain shots in certain situations or like knowing which players on the court um, are, are, are playing the best at a certain time and maybe trying to get those guys the ball and things like that. So um, I think that it can definitely play in your favor if you know how to use them correctly. So, I mean, yeah, man, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where the kind of the future of, of analytics goes, man. But I definitely want to thank you for coming on today, Evan, man. Definitely this was a super, super in, informative episode, man. And uh, for all the fans out there, man, I hope you guys definitely tune into my guy's work, man. He's definitely going to be uh, doing some big things on the horizon. As you can see, the bag is going to be coming in soon. You know what I'm saying? So make sure y'all save y'all pennies, get y'all coins together to go ahead and purchase that subscription. You know what I'm saying? Because it's definitely going to go a long way, man. But uh, definitely keep keep doing your thing, Evan, man. We definitely appreciate you for coming on today. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. No doubt, no doubt, man. This has been another episode of the Auto Big, guys. Make sure you guys tune into the Final Four. I know you guys are going to have your popcorn ready for that, man. So we'll see you guys next week. This is going to be Pull Up Tate on the outro. And we will see you guys next week. You beating on me? It's time to get a check, boy. Check, boy. You want the sideline, you ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You bitten on me? What's the topic of discussion? What we talking about? Take your best shot, I'ma take the last shot. I'm drawing in the clutch, boy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.